Chapter 11, Part 1 I had been divorced for six months at this point. Finally got my own apartment out of the domestic violence shelter and had a decent job that I had held for over six months. The first day I met him, I was sitting at the computer in the library. He turned to me saying, can, I help, can you help me please? I'm not very good at this. Referring to logging into something on the computer next to me. He had come straight from work that day to the library, so he was wearing dirty coveralls and had scraggly facial hair. His hair didn't look like it had been combed. It looked like it had been under a hat all day. I could immediately tell he was older than me. Turned out to be an eight-year difference. When he smiled, those dimples reminded me of LL Cool J. When I saw his dimples for the first time on a clean-shaven face, it was even better. When he stood up from the computer desk that day at the library, his sheer stature was formidably intimidating, yet exciting at the same time, almost immediately giving me a sense of feeling safe and sheltered. I think in a way it reminded me of my father when I was a child. He wasn't pushy, but he was matter-of-fact, just straightforward. That's always been a plus in my book. He gave me his number on a small piece of paper that he had got from the library scrap bin with the tiny pencils. He didn't ask me for mine. He left it up to me to call him if I was interested in giving him my number. I had never dated anyone older than me. The majority of my limited experience dating had been people close to my own age that I was in school with up until this point. This was also an indication of my stunted growth because I wasn't a teenager anymore. I was now over 35 years old. This was 2010. I finally decided to call him that night around 8.30 p.m. He said he had been getting ready to sleep since he worked early the next morning. This also seemed to be a widely accepted promising sign amongst the dating community, so I figured I must be on the right track to a genuinely nice guy. We made arrangements to speak again about meeting up in person for a date. He even offered to set his alarm clock for 8 p.m. so he wouldn't miss a call from me in case he fell asleep. I was an overnight waitress at IHOP, so I was awake all night, and he worked day shift at an oil tank manufacturer as a sandblaster, so he was up early every day. We spoke a few more times on the phone, got to know each other, felt comfortable enough to meet in person. So we made plans for an afternoon date at a Mexican restaurant, which is my favorite. He told me that he would like to see me again as we parted. I agreed that I would be receptive to continuing communication. There was no kiss on that first date. A few days later, he confided in me that he had been celibate for quite some time. He also confided in me that he was still extremely emotional about his mother's passing the year prior while he was in prison. When I inquired about his three years in prison, he calmly and quietly, almost in a vulnerable, embarrassed way, explained to me that it was just a misunderstanding with a check he cashed that he did not realize was forged by the person who gave it to him until after he was arrested. He also admitted that prior to prison, he had been somewhat of an alcoholic. He had become clean while he was in prison and been clean ever since he got out. In the meantime, from the very beginning, he was explaining to me how, since his father was a pastor, that he would most likely become a pastor or a minister of music.
After dating for a while, he asked me, would I feel comfortable being the minister of music's wife? He specified that it was very important to him that we follow the steps in the dating process from a Christian standpoint. By the next weekend, we had decided to date exclusively, focused on working our relationship up to marriage. We also had an appointment with the pastor the next Monday to discuss his counsel on the matter. That was also the same year that my youngest daughter, who was 15, going on 16 at the time, was having difficulties in her father's home with his new wife and her children. She had made arrangements with her father to move in with me to start the school year. The weekend I was scheduled to pick her up, I asked him to ride with me because it was almost 100 miles away, one way, mostly in the middle of nowhere, rural Kansas. On the drive up, about three-fourths of the way there, Roberto called my cell phone asking me how far away I was and if he could meet me somewhere to drop off our youngest daughter. He heard Anthony's voice in the background immediately, becoming furious and cussing, screaming, and yelling. Who is that nigger's voice I hear in the background? You better not have any niggers around my kids. While repeatedly calling me names and threatening me. I stopped immediately. I didn't know what to do. I didn't think he would bring our daughter to me now. I thought he was going to keep her away from me to punish me. After he hung up on me, calling me back a few more times, still being irate, he finally acted like he had calmed down and told me to just go back home and he would bring her to me. I already felt, knowing him, that this was a ploy to find out where I lived so he could start watching me again like he had before. I told him he could meet me at the Taco Bell. I didn't tell him it was across the street from my apartment. I still did not feel safe with him knowing where I live after he had tried to kill me on multiple occasions. The judge gave him custody of our children, allowing him total control over the situation. I was scared to death. I was so afraid when he told me he was on his way. He got there so quickly that I realized he had left to come find me as soon as he heard that voice in the background. He was hoping to kept, catch up with us on the highway. He was hoping to follow me home so he could find out where I lived. When they arrived, I was waiting in the Taco Bell parking lot alone. They transferred the carload of her possessions into my car since she was moving in for the school year. He then proceeded to try to have a conversation with me after our daughter was already in the back seat. I told him that I had to go. He tried to open my door. It was locked, which made him even more angry. He went to the front of my car. He glared at me through the windshield, standing with his palms facing down on the hood, screaming, then started punching dents into my hood. I'm not sure how long that lasted, but to me it felt like ten minutes. It may have been ten seconds. I don't know, but it was traumatic. I drove my daughter to the store first for fear that he would follow me home. I took every precaution I could, then finally pulled into the parking lot of my apartment to unload and set up my daughter's new bedroom with her personal possessions to make her feel at home. We looked through the scrapbooks from her childhood together. As we were sitting on the floor in her bedroom going through pictures, she confided in me that the entire drive up, her father had been speeding, yelling, screaming, cursing, in between explaining to her in detail how he was going to kill me. 
that he was going to stab me with a knife in my vagina. He said, pussy, I believe. Repeatedly. Then shove a gun in my vagina to shoot straight through to my brain. She said it scared her. She said it was worse than she had ever seen him. I immediately called her social worker who took her statement in person. The social worker called the police. He was arrested on the highway. Charged with criminal threat and criminal damage to property in addition to the fact that he was still on probation for kidnapping me. I still had a restraining order against him that stated when we exchanged the children he was not to know where I was living. My oldest daughter had already been living with her boyfriend's family by this time. She was in her senior year in high school. I offered to let her come live with me, but she wanted to graduate with the same kids she had been in school with since kindergarten. There had been an altercation. She refused to go into detail, only to say that her father had backed her into the fridge, got in her face, and scared her. She left to her boyfriend's mom's house and never went back home. I had made the trip down there to move her possessions out of his house. He called me to tell me he never wanted to see or speak to her ever again and asked me to get her shit out of his house. This was the same oldest child which he followed the nurse to the back of the delivery room where they were cleaning her up after she was born as he asked, where are you taking my baby? Eleven years and a grandchild later, they still have never spoken to this day.